Today, I want to continue the series that we began several weeks ago on moral dilemmas and social issues that face the Christian today. Moral dilemmas and social issues that face the Christian today. Remember, the first we talked about was abortion and euthanasia. And we saw that abortion and euthanasia actually looking at the quality of life versus the sanctity of life. On one end of the spectrum, you have the question, when does life begin? On the other end, you have, when does life end? On this end, for some, the idea is life only begins when the fetus becomes viable, meaning that it can take care of itself somewhat. The idea is when it can produce by its own efforts, then life begins. And I mentioned the, the well-respected doctor who makes decisions about abortion and euthanasia in the hospital that he's involved with, says that he doesn't believe that life begins until two days after birth. That's when life begins. Therefore, any time from conception to two days after birth, you can kill that baby because it's not a person. It's a potential person. But until it can take care of itself, it's not a person. Then you go to the other extreme. On the other end of the scale, you have the question asked, when does life end? The same gentleman says he believes that life ends for an older person at age 85. Because by that time, that person is consuming more than he produces. He, in other words, is a drain on the economy of the state or wherever it is. And since he cannot produce or she cannot produce, she cannot take care of themselves, as it were, then that person is not worth living. You see, that's when you look at life from the point of view of uh, the quality of life. After 85, the quality of life reduces because it cannot produce, you see. But now, when you go from a biblical perspective, you see that life is life. From the time of conception to the time God decides to take it back himself. There's no such thing as a right to life or a right to die. God is the only one who gives that. God is the one who opens the womb and closes when he wants. He's the one who decides when we go home. So it's important for us as Christians always to remember when we're talking about these issues, we look at the sanctity of life rather than the quality of life. Then the other issue we talked about was what? Pornography. I call pornography the silent destroyer of homes and families. And remember we talked about how prevalent pornography is today and how available it is to children via the Internet. I can give you story after story of marriages that have been wrecked because of pornography, especially by the man spending time on the internet. And we cautioned you as parents concerning allowing your children to watch or to be on the internet. We caution you, don't allow your children to have a computer in the room where you have no oversight of it. 
If you allow them to have a computer, let them use it outside in the living room or where you can see it. Make sure that you use the, the, the proper uh, programs for blocking things and so on. It's quite, quite easy to do that, involved, but you can do it nonetheless. Pornography is destroying the lives of many people, husbands, wives to a smaller degree, but also children. It is being discovered now that young people, and I say young, I don't mean from 15, I mean from 10, 11 on, they are being hooked on to pornography because of their computers, internet. And it destroys uh, individuals as far as the character, their lives are concerned. And so these are issues we need to talk about. And that's why we have this series. Today we want to talk about gambling. I call gambling the idol of the greedy. It's worshipped by those who worship luck rather than God. Gambling, the idol of the greedy, worshipped by those who worship luck rather than God. Today we're going to look at that very briefly and we're going to ask and answer certain questions as we go on. For instance, we're going to ask and answer such questions as, is gambling a moral issue? Some people believe that gambling is amoral. In other words, it's neutral. Gambling in itself, they say, is not immoral. Specifically, we're going to relate that to the question as to whether or not a Christian should endorse a government-sponsored lottery and so change the law of the Bahamas to legalize gambling, especially in the form of lottery. That's what we're looking at specifically. We're going to ask a question that in a country which is purposely rooted the principles of biblical Christianity within its very constitution, is it morally right for those who govern such a country to legalize a once outlawed activity and go further to encourage citizens to participate in it? Is that moral for government to do? What is gambling? Why do people gamble? These are some of the questions we want to ask and answer in today's message. But for, let me give a disclaimer here, because some people think that when we talk about gambling, we're thinking that we're saying people should not have money or have a lot of money. We give the impression, they say that we believe that Jesus does not want people to have money or to be rich. That's not true. Jesus nowhere states that wealth is wrong. Or that Christians should not have either money or wealth. He never says that's wrong. It always has to do with our attitude of it, towards it, and our use of it. Nor does Jesus or the scriptures teach that Christians should strive after riches. This is the other end of the spectrum. He doesn't say that we shouldn't have money or have wealth. But nor does he teach that Christians must strive after money, or they must have wealth. Jesus always emphasizes the proper use of money, as well as the proper ways and means of acquiring it. The scripture teaches that greed is never to be a motivation 
to acquire money or wealth. Greed should never be a motivation to acquire wealth. Nor is stealing ever to be a means of getting wealth. But sharing with others is always to be a result of having wealth. And finally, he teaches that faith in him to meet our needs is always to be our attitude when it comes to money or wealth or any kind of material resources. Notice what Paul says to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Notice, he doesn't say it's wrong to have wealth. He says, just don't put your hope in it. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You notice that? Who provides it? God does. And he provides it richly. And why does he provide it? For our enjoyment. The point is, don't put your faith in it. But let your faith be in God. He says, command them to do good. In other words, he gives those who have wealth the purpose of doing good. To be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. A person who refuses to do this has money is what the Bible calls hoarding. And hoarding is always a sin. You see, hoarding is always a sin. In, the way, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. You see, God is saying there is a way for the rich person to be rich in heaven. How? By using his riches here to do good deeds. He's sending his riches ahead of him. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. In the Old Testament, God makes it quite clear in the, that in the final analysis, it is He, not the wisdom, the energy, or the labor of man, that is the source of riches. Listen to His words to the children of Israel, not to forget Him when they enter the land. Deuteronomy 8, verse 17, He says, You may say to yourself, this is when they get into the land of flowing with milk and honey. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you ability to produce wealth. You get that? And so confirm his covenant, which he swore to you and your forefathers. See, this underlines the biblical truth that it is God who allows and enables the rich to get the riches. So, we're just saying here, God doesn't say it's wrong or sinful to have money or wealth. The question is, what's the motivation for it? How do you achieve it? And what do you do with it when you get it? That's what the point is. The question then is not whether or not God wants us to have money. The Bible is clear, he does. The question is, how does he want us to acquire it? And more specifically, is gambling in our context today, is gambling a proper biblical and moral means to acquire money? As always, let's begin at the beginning. What is gambling? Many people today still don't know what gambling is. There's still an argument over what gambling is. So let's look at the meaning of gambling. Let me give you just a brief history. The word gambling itself, although it was in existence a long time before this, the word gambling 
it was invented, as it were, in the middle of the 18th century by the British people, the English. Although, as I said, as we'll see in a moment, gambling was way, way long ago. You remember the little phrase, those of you who are little distinguished in age as I am, you remember the British used to say that they loved a sporting chance? You ever heard that? That is, we love a sporting chance. See, that was in the context of gambling or gaming. You see, Wayne Oates in his book, Luck is a Secular Faith, defines gambling in this way. Quote, gambling is the staking or betting of something of value with the express intention of running a risk in hope of gaining something of more of more value as a result. Two major elements in this definition. I believe they should do something else, but two major elements in this definition. One, to constitute gambling. Once, there's the awareness of a risk. Second, there's a desire to win. You see, I would include there must be losers. You cannot have gambling unless you have losers. This is very important. Yes, there must be a risk. There must be that desire to win. But there must also be losers. The results are governed by the ratio of chance or odds. There can be no gambling without these elements. Risk-taking, a desire to win, and losers. The nature of these elements determine the degree or intensity the gambler puts into his efforts of gambling. Let me stress something here. If you gamble, you're a gambler. You understand what I'm saying? You don't have to gamble three times a day to be qualified to be called a gambler. If you gamble, you are a gambler. And whenever you gamble, you're saying something about your belief in God. You're saying something about your faith. To what God? When you gamble, you're saying you're not believing that God can provide your needs. You're saying, I do not have enough faith for God to supply my needs. Because you're trusting more in luck than you are in God's providence or God's grace in your life. The same way we have deeply committed Christians, sometimes they're called fanatics, sometimes they're called fundamentalists, sometimes they're simply called faithful Christians, committed to the Christian way of life. We also have normally committed Christians, they committed sometimes. And then, of course, we have non-committed Christians. They're not committed at any time. We have the same level of commitment when it comes to gambling. We have deeply committed gamblers. These are sometimes called addictive or compulsive gamblers. They gamble all the time. But we also have nominally committed gamblers. They gamble frequently, but they gamble nonetheless. 
and they're still gamblers. We also have non-committed gamblers. They gamble occasionally, periodically, when it's convenient. But no matter which level of gambling you may be on, you are gambling. And whatever is true, as far as the nature of gambling and what the significance and implications are, whatever is true of the totally committed gambler is also true of you. If gambling is wrong for a totally committed gambler, the addictive gambler, it is also wrong for the one who does it only occasionally. Sin is sin. Gambling included. You understand what I'm saying? Very important for us to get a hold of this. Now, why do people gamble? Think about it for a moment. Why do people gamble? Any answers? To get money? Huh? To have it? Have it? Okay. Get rich quick. That's right. But you get right down to it, though. People gamble to win. I don't know of a gambler who gambles to lose. Right or wrong? You gamble to win. See? So it has to do with my desire. It has to do with my motivation. It comes right down to it. It comes to do, has to do with my faith in God. But gamblers gamble to win. But one of the amazing things to me is, and I used to be a gambler. I might tell you a story sometime. I used to gamble with, gamble with everything that's gambleable. Dice, cards, horses, flipping coins, shooting pool, playing, whatever it is. All right? But you know something? Here is the thing. Every gambler who thinks, most of them don't, but those who do, knows or know that the deck is stacked against them. They know that the house is going to win. In the final, in the end. They know that. They know that the odds for them winning is it's just irrational. But you know what? They gamble nonetheless. Let me ask you a question. If you were to go to the airport, and you go to one of the airlines, and the airline says, I want you to know before you get on here, that one in every five of our airplanes crash. Would you get on that lane? You wouldn't get on that. Flying isn't that risky. But most forms of gambling are more risky than that. Including casino gambling, the lottery, numbers, and so on. Listen to this quote from the book, don't bet on it by Tom Matson. He says, quote, Winning the typical state lottery offers a chance of only one in seven million. The chances are much higher that you will be struck by lightning or be killed by a falling object. In fact, 
It is five times more likely that you will eat, be eaten by a shark than you will win the state lottery jackpot. But yet we get thousands of Bahamians who play the lottery every day. Not every week. Every day. Dr. Norman Geisler, one of my former professors, says this, talking about the U.S., the chances are 250 times greater that you will get AIDS, even if you are in the low-risk category than gambling in the lottery. So even though gamblers won't admit it, most gamblers do not gamble because it is logical or wise to gamble. They gamble simply because they want to win, even though they know the odds are against them. They are driven by greed, plain and simple. Greed. And greed is idolatry. And so they are desirous to become worshippers of the idol God. And they replace God in their lives every time they gamble. That's why I believe that one of the most forceful, practical, common sense reasons that we can be given for a person not to gamble is that gambling is intellectually irrational. In other words, gamblers are fools. Plain and simple. Illogical. The New Yorker magazine states that the chance of winning the lottery in that state was 12 million to one. But their lottery is going like wildfire. In Florida, the most of I was going to say you, but that wouldn't be right, would it? Where a lot of Bahamians send their money in Florida, where it is claimed that up to 50 million or more Bahamian dollars are wagered every week, that the ratio there is 14 million to one. 14 million to one. And yet, and I have no doubt that some of you right here in this place are doing that every day, knowing the odds are stacked against you. Gambling is illogical, irrational, non-intellectual, but yet it's being done by people who claim to be rational, intelligent, and wise. All right. Let me go through some reasons why people uh, say that gambling is all right. I see that we'll have to pick up this next week. But let me give you some reasons. And I'm not approaching this right now totally from a biblical, because you see, here's one of the things we ought to understand when we come to sharing a lot of truth here. Many times when you go right to the scriptures, it isn't people don't people shut you off right away. Because not everybody's committed to biblical truth. You realize that, eh? Even some Christians really not committed to biblical truth. You see? So I'm looking at these things right now from a rational point of view, from an intellectual point of view, all right? Here's some of the reasons people give to say that gambling is okay and that's why they can spend their money on a daily and weekly basis to do that even if they can't pay the rent or buy the milk for the children. First of all, people like to say, everybody gamble, man. Life is a gamble. You ever heard that one? How many of you believe life is a gamble? Now, I know nobody can raise their hand because you think it's a trick question. <laughs> you know, you think it's anyway. But when we say life is a gamble, we are implying 
that if life is a gamble, then it's okay to gamble with our money. Is, you see the connection? Life is a gamble. Therefore, since life is a gamble and I got to live, then gambling with my money is okay also. That's the kind of rationale that is used. All right? Now, besides the fact that this is a patently fallacious argument based on a fallacious assumption, it is not true that life is a gamble. Life is a risk, or perhaps I should say better, life has risks, but it's not a gamble. There's a vast difference between taking a risk and gambling. Not every risk is a gamble. You understand what I'm saying? Not every risk is a gamble. You see, life is a necessary risk. Gambling is not. In fact, if a person normally took the risk a gambler takes when he gambles, the person wouldn't live very long. At least, not without fear and trepidation all the time. In actuality, life is an investment, not a gamble. Risks in life are reasonable, rational, and necessary risks, leading to reasonable and rational returns. This is not so with gambling. Gambling, by its very nature, involves an unreasonable risk with hope for unreasonable returns. So you cannot compare life and gambling. In fact, for the believer who knows God, and trust God for his life, he can confidently say, we know that in all things God works for good for those who love him, those who have been called according to his purpose. For a believer, there's no such thing as chance or luck. If you believe in the God of providence and the God who has our welfare, and the God who says, don't worry about the things of tomorrow, which you're going to wear and all of that stuff. He says, I know that. I know what you're aware of. Just be concerned for the day and to realize that if you say, Lord, give us today our monthly bread. Does it say that? Our daily bread. We trust him to meet our needs on a day-to-day -day basis. We do not have to fear about tomorrow and therefore have this lustful desire to gain wealth without work, taking advantage of those who lose. Because that's what gambling is. You always take advantage from the losers, of the losers. In fact, as we'll establish next week, you actually are stealing from them. Because gambling is a form of stealing. Mutually consented stealing, but it's stealing nonetheless. Now, so that's one argument for people who believe in gambling. Life is a risk, but that's nonsense. But then they say, it's only entertainment. I only do it for fun. Now, again, look at the logical conclusion of that. The fallacy here is saying that if you say it's okay because it's fun, it's only entertainment, then you're saying that whatever is fun or entertaining is okay. Is moral. That's what you're saying if you're saying gambling is only fun. I don't do it for entertainment. You are saying, really, that anything that is fun, then, or entertaining, 
is okay to do. But no, just saying it tells us we're wrong. The Bible says that some commit violence as a sport. Book of Proverbs. What do they mean? They love to do it. You get hoodlums today who go around breaking up people's properties, cars and homes. Why? Because they love to do it because it's fun and exciting. Does that make it right? Of course not. You get men who enjoy beating up women, abusing children. Does that make it right because they enjoy it? Of course not. Just because you enjoy something, something is entertaining, does not make it right. There are many things that are fun to do, but not necessarily good, moral, or right. Friends, listen. If gambling is fun, then it is fun to rob the poor. Because that's what legalized gambling does. It steals from the poor. If gambling is fun, then it is fun to misguide the young people. Because that's what gambling does, is misguiding. We're going to show stats from the states anyway. It's showing now that two of the, the groups of people who have been mostly affected by gambling now are young people and women. They're becoming much more addictive than the male. That's amazing to me. Youth and women. If gambling is fun, it's the kind of fun I say we can do without. In fact, the kind of fun we should do without. Solomon says in Psalm in Proverbs 21:17, "He who loves pleasure will become poor." That's the word of God. This is certainly true of, for most gamblers. If pleasure is there, if gambling is their pleasure, they're going to become poor. But now here's the third one. Not only is life is a gamble, it's fun doing it, so all is all I do. You ever heard this one? The church does it. That's one comes up more and more now when you get into arguments with a preacher on the radio or whatever. The church does it. Now, again, what is the logical implications or conclusions of this? You know, the argument goes something like this. If the church sponsors and endorses gambling through bingos and raffles, why shouldn't government and the individual do it also? Now, again, this is a fallacious argument. But yet, there's something that we cannot overlook, and it is this. Just by the fact that gamblers can use this against the church, puts a spot on the church. You understand what I'm saying? Because we have so many churches who do it, who do these things. See, that's why one of the things, most of you know this, I have a real, real problem in the way we go about trying to raise funds for the work of the church. Now, as many of you know, and I'm not hiding, I even have problems, and that, that means I'm going to, selling stuff to do it. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong, man. I just say I have problems. Why? Because to me, if I can give, if, if, if I have money, and there's a need in the church, I can give that directly. Do I have to buy something? In order for me to give something? See, to me, it isn't, to me, it's not teaching people how to give. It's teaching us the same thing the world does. The world does it. But where, if I have money and there's a need, I don't need, I shouldn't need anything else to get that money from me. Now, does that make it wrong or immoral? I'm not going to go that way. I might lose my job if I do, but, 
but I have some real tensions about that. You see? But now, thankfully here, we don't have bingos or raffles. I hope you never do. All right? But what I'm saying is, people who have no commitment to biblical truth can bring this up, and properly so, when they argue about gambling. The church does it. All right? But now, we have to look at this as well. This is a rationalization, of course. What they're saying here is that gambling is okay if the church does it. So this automatically gives the idea that whatever the church does is right. Now think about that for a moment. Is that true? Everything the church does is right? No, we know that. For one thing to start off, not every church who says the church is a church in the first place. You understand what I'm saying? But this is the idea. If the church does it, even those who are set up properly according to the word of God, even such a church, they're saying that if the church does it, then it makes it right. That's wrong. Gambling is wrong no matter who does it. Whether the church does it, or the government does it, the individual does it, it's still wrong according to the word of God. It's immoral. Many professing Christian churches endorse and promote non-marital sexual relations between members, as well as homosexuality. And we can go on, does that make these things right? Of course not. There are some who claim that gambling is endorsed and sanctioned in the Bible because it endorses the casting of lots and the use of the umum and tumum in the Old Testament. Do you remember that? I'm not speaking in tongues, say the umum and the tumum. These were little stones or things that were used uh, by the priests even in the, in the tabernacle to determine a choice between individuals or things. Like for instance, who's going to be the high priest to go into the high place? They would cast lots for that. But you see, there was no risk involved. They were seek simply seeking to determine what is God's will. It was not a matter of risk or gambling, but rather to determine a decision, to make a decision. This has nothing to do with gambling whatsoever, when it's properly understood. These were methods which simply helped to determine one out of two options. A matter of choice, not a matter of chance. It was to distinguish or determine something not to win something based on odds or any form of payment. This was not gambling, the use of these lots. In fact, it was just to the contrary. It was meant to take matters out of the hand of man and put it into the hands of God. Because they believed what Solomon said in Proverbs 16.33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its very decision is from the Lord. You see, that's why lots were used in disputed cases. It was a means of letting God decide the issue. 
It had nothing to do with gambling. In this connection, Dr. Norman Geisler makes another quote in his book. He says, those who trust God don't gamble. And those who gamble do not trust God to provide for them. So as stark as it may seem, he says, when we gamble, we choose between God and an idol. When we choose God, we say, I trust you to provide. When we choose the idol, gambling, I look to luck to provide. That's the issue here. These are strong words, but I believe that they're true. I agree with another comment Dr. Geiser said. He says, of all institutions on earth, the church should be giving to the poor, not taking from them. Benevolence, not bingo, is the church's duty to the needy. End of quote. I believe that. There's one more, then I'll let you go home. You'll pick it up next week, Lord willing. Another thing they say is that people are going to do it anyway. You know, hey, people do it anyway. So what's wrong with it? Now, just, just think that through for a moment. The, 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 the illogical, the stupidity of that kind of an argument. People are going to do it anyway. Now, this is another argument that is made without, without much serious thought behind it. A basic faulty assumption is involved. If people are going to do it anyway, then legalize it. As though legalizing makes something that is bad into something that is good. That's what they're saying. This is bad. But you can get money. Let's legalize it then. Because people can do it anyway. And legalizing it makes it okay. Follow through with that a moment. If you follow this thought logically, logically through. Prostitution. I overstate, because I'm reading about these things now, because we're going to be talking about that in these issues as well. That just legalize prostitution. Why? Because of the money it can make, and people are doing it anyway. So let's provide the resources they can do it safely. And we can make returns at the same time. So what they're saying by these actions are, this is sinful, but we're going to legalize it to make it right. To give to the community. We say, boy, that's far out. Nobody should do it. Well, that's what they're asking for in lottery. And if you vote for that, if you go along, that's exactly what you're going to be doing. You're going to be saying that, hey, the end justifies the means. And we know that isn't true. At least I hope so. This is the argument, by the way, that people use for the legalization of abortion and the right to distribute contraceptives to minors without the knowledge of approved parents. The approval of the parents. What is the argument? The argument is this. Young people are going to be involved in sex anyway. So let's provide for them to do it safely. Such refuse to see the logic and moral fallacy involved in these kinds of arguments. But in regard to gambling, it is just not true that people will gamble naturally or normally. 
See, this is the idea. People are going to do it naturally or they're going to do it, you know, normally. That's just a thing to do. But that's not true. It is being demonstrated that most people normally would not gamble. Most people gamble because all of a sudden it becomes convenient to do so. This fact is illustrated by one of the greatest expense to keep a national lottery going is expense for PR, advertising gambling. Why would you have to advertise gambling in such a great fashion way it's done if people normally gamble? What is the advertiser? To lure people into gambling. That's what it's for. So the very fact that they have to advertise it and advertise it so, so uh, uh, per per pervasively shows that people will not gamble naturally. They're enticed into it. It's only if it comes convenient. Most of you will go over to Atlantis and walk through that casino without stopping. Some of you will. I've seen you. I went when you wouldn't see me. No, I'm only kidding. But now you go to Las Vegas and you walk through, you'll see more of you stop. Why? Because nobody you know around. You say, man, there's only 25 cents. Let me, you know. I seen Christians right brought down to come visit us who never dream of doing it in their hometown. But they go over to London. Oh man, yeah man, let me try this. I always wanted to do this. <laughs> People are lured into it. And when you go to the book of James, this is what he says. When tempted, as with sponsored lottery government would do, I mean, sponsored, a government sponsored lottery would do. James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Even if you pull down that what do they call it? One hand bandit. And you hit a jackpot. Don't say, God has blessed me. In fact, I can call his name. I had a fellow do that one day. He says, man, I got this money, man. Ain't no wrong, you know. He said, but boy, I was praying for this. God bless me. I won the jackpot. Thank God. Now, you see, he didn't realize but he was thanking the God of gambling, not the God of the Bible. Notice, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That's where gambling leads. Death to the family, death to the individual, relationship to God and people. I'll give a personal story next time, Lord willing, of how this particular passage of truth was lived out in my own life. You see, I know that gambling can lead the death of relationships, and especially relationship with God. And so, what we're saying here, and we'll pick this up next time, Lord willing. By the way, we've done a little booklet on it, and that's what I'm reading my notes from, gambling. And uh, if you'd like to have a copy, 
<sighs> Just let us know. The office will make up some more. But all of these things are in there. But what we want to say to you today is here that we have a God who cares for us. A God who has planned out our life and a God who has promised to give us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. There's no reason for us to worship the idle gambling or the thing that luck is what will give us what we want. We have a benevolent God, a gracious God, a loving God. He will provide. He's promised and he's never gone back on any of his promises. Let's pray. Perhaps you need to make a commitment or a confession now in your own life. Perhaps you will put idle gambling luck in place of God in your life and occasions and you need to confess that now and make a commitment that with his help you will trust him, not Lady Luck but you will trust a loving God to provide your needs remember again if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness make a commitment right now that you're going to have faith in God, not in gambling also, make a commitment now that those of you whom God has blessed with resources, that he is blessed so that you can use it to do good works with, that you can bless the people of God. Make a commitment that you will follow his instructions along these lines as well. That wealth and money is not to be hoarded, but to be shared for the glory of God. Father, thank you for your word. Use it to accomplish your purpose in our lives, we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen.